Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Happy Wednesday. Happy Tennessee Harmony Day. I am Jason Whitlock. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, man, do I have an awesome show uh, planned for us today. I'm going to live up to my part and deliver it in a unique, special fashion. You need to live up to your part and make sure you're out there recruiting for the Fearless Army. Are you hitting that subscribe button? Are you hitting the likes? Are you telling your friends to come and join us over here at the Fearless Army? This show is so dangerous that, you know, YouTube is now screwing with us, uh, but we gotta just stay the course and keep fighting. We're gonna continue to talk about the most fearless topics uh, in the country, and we're gonna talk about them in a fearless way. And we're definitely gonna do that today. Denise McAllister, an author, uh, a conservative pro-life speaker. Uh, Denise uh, talks and tweets a lot about sexuality and modern Christianity. And we're gonna have her on the show today to talk about those things. She'll be followed by Tennessee Harmony because I want Pastor Bobby Harrington, Pastor Anthony Walker, to react to whatever Denise has to say today. And so that's gonna be great for Tennessee Harmony. Uh, Shamika Michelle and TJ Moe are gonna join me at the top of the show. Shamika will be up first and then TJ Moe um, because I'm going to set a fire about <clears throat> where we're at in modern American culture as it relates to race and racism and I'm gonna to try to further unpack uh, my position on where we're at with race and racism. And we'll also get Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony's uh, reaction to the fire I start today in my opening monologue. So uh, without further ado, let's get this party started. <clears throat> Showtime's three-part documentary series, Everything's Gonna Be All White, should be renamed the Rebirth of a Nation, presented by the Chinese Communist Party. Based on its two-minute trailer, All White aspires to be an all-black adaptation of the infamous 1915 racist propaganda film, The Birth of a Nation. Ibram X. Kendi and his racial acolytes sit in front of cameras and spew anti-white racism. Take a look for yourself Let's roll the two minute trailer and you can hear for yourself uh, this remake of Birth of a Nation. I think what annoys me most about white people is when they pretend like they're the victim. <laughs> 
also annoying is when they, you know, when they kill us. What is fragile about whiteness when everything has been constructed around it? Every part of who I am has been distorted or criminalized. It's really just a bunch of white lies. <laughs> You're storming the Capitol! You're not patriots. You're ridiculous. One of the definitions of American whiteness is ignorance. White people, we are not your problem. You are. Should white people today feel any responsibility for slavery? <laughs> Hell yeah. White Jesus or black Jesus? Jesus was not white. Think of geography. Ain't no way Jesus walked around with blonde hair and blue eyes. White culture fears the end of the world. For us as native people, the end of the world already happened like multiple times. Symbols and monuments, these are mementos of racism. Bring that statue that. Put up a TCBY yogurt or something. Everybody can get behind. <laughs> the truth has to be told about history. We have to make sure that these stories are told from our perspective. There's always hope, you know what I'm saying? We don't give up. It's about obliterating systemic and institutionalized racism. This is a wild place, y'all. It's a wild place. I know Harriet and Frederick be up there just like, what is they gonna do? This is a wild place, y'all. This is just a wild place. I know Harriet and Freddie be up there just like, what they is gonna be doing? What is they gonna be doing? I mean, are you kidding me? This kind of buffoonery? What is they gonna be doing? It's unlikely that All White, which debuts on Friday, will reach the kind of massive audience that flocked to see Birth of a Nation, an anti-black silent movie. There was far less competition for eyeballs 100 years ago. But All White is part of a collective of movies, documentaries, and TV shows with the same central theme. White people are evil. When it comes to anti-white racism, Hollywood has been paid to remove all subtlety. From the hate you give, to get out, to dear white people, to the endless supply of racial documentaries on Netflix, Hollywood producers are taking checks to hammer the theme that white Americans are the root of all evil. Hollywood should be renamed Chinatown a Western outpost for the Chinese Communist Party. Foreign money, particularly from China, continues to pervert Hollywood. This is not good. Racism, regardless of the target, is unhealthy and counterproductive. It drives domestic division and animus. For making this obvious point, some people will label me a honky lover, a sellout, a race trader. My true crime is sticking to the values I was taught as a Christian. My faith compels me to oppose racism. That has been my passion since childhood. In eighth grade, when my junior high began busing in black kids to further integrate the school, I was chosen as a leader to bring the white and black kids together. I played the same role at my high school as the captain of our nationally ranked high school football team. 
I saw myself as an extension, as an extension of Dr. Martin Luther King's dream of men and women judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Much of my work as a journalist from 1992 to 2010 focused on analyzing America's racial divide through the lens of sports. In 2008, I won the Scripps Howard National Journalism Award for commentary for my ability to quote, integrate sports commentary with social commentary and to challenge widely held assumptions along the racial divide. Many of my critics claim that my point of view has changed drastically over the past 14 years. They claim I've become a conservative political partisan and only criticize the left. I have not changed. I'm not a political partisan. My morals and values have not changed. Journalism and American culture have drastically changed over the past 14 years. Anti-white bigotry has become popular within American culture. I consistently criticize the left because the left has rejected Christianity and embraced racism. I was born in 1967, a year before the assassination of Dr. King. I see myself as a descendant of Dr. King's dream. Dr. King was a, a Christian who fought racism. I do not know Dr. King's political affiliation. I believe Dr. King would be appalled by the racism that is being sanctioned by the left. From critical race theory in schools, to the New York Times 1619 project, to, to everything's gonna be all white. The left and its global corporate partners are aggressively pushing racism. It's not just anti-white racism, it's anti-black racism too. Visa, the credit card company, just released a Winter Olympic commercial that analogized being black to having cancer or being an amputee. Watch the commercial for yourself. Everyone celebrates the finish line. But what about the starting line? I went through 12 treatments of chemotherapy. I am African-American and I'm surrounded by people who aren't. I didn't become a snowboarder until after I became an amputee. We all win when everyone can get to their starting line. I want to play that again. Cue that up again because I, I just I don't want people to miss this. And and maybe the people at Visa missed it. That's why I, I want if you work at Visa, I want you to watch. They are telling you in this commercial that being born black is like being an amputee or developing cancer, and that being born black there's a struggle to get to the start line the same as if you were missing a leg and or were suffering cancer. Watch this commercial. This is racism presented by Visa. Watch it again. Everyone celebrates the finish line. But what about the starting line? I went through 12 treatments of chemotherapy. I am African-American and I'm surrounded by people who aren't. I didn't become a snowboarder until after I became an amputee. We all win when everyone can get to their starting line. Listen, 
I, I promise you, I'm not a political partisan. I, I, I just, this kind of racism repulses me and compels me to speak up as a Christian. Who, to, to, for Visa to put out a commercial during the Winter Olympics, telling black people, you're such a victim, no different from someone who's an amputee, someone who suffers cancer. You're the same as them. And getting to the starting line is just as difficult for you as it is for an amputee or a cancer survivor. That's what, how difficult it is being black in America. I'm just sorry, that's racist. You, you can't be poisoning the mindsets of black people that, oh, you're such victims. Life is so hard for it. As a Christian, I'm just not a victim. I reject it. I, I, I can't. My critics claim that I ignore the racism of conservatives. They say that voter ID laws are racist and the new Jim Crow. I find that claim a ridiculous distortion of history. It's not remotely unfair or racist to require voters to show a government-approved ID. Well, now, what about January 6th? White Trump supporters and the insurrection. White Trump supporters are primarily angry at white leftists for demonizing them as the worst people on the planet and ignoring their legitimate concerns. The theory that Trump voters are motivated by anti-black racism is a hypothesis white liberals popularized to blind black people to the bigotry of the left. I'm sure there are some portion of Trump's base that is motivated by bigotry. But those aren't the people financing visa commercials, analogizing blackness to cancer and being amputated. Those aren't the people arguing that black people cannot achieve in this country without the charity of white people. Those aren't the people setting aside $30 million for crack pipes to pass out to black people. President Joe Biden's Department of Health and Human Services concocted the crack pipe giveaway as part of racial equity. Black crack matters. The left is rolling back the racial progress Dr. King's Generation One. They've turned American society into a mashup of the iconic racial sketch comedy shows In Living Color and The Chappelle Show. Yesterday, rapper Jim Jones posted a video complaining that a Gucci store in California failed to provide him sparkling water and champagne while he shopped in their VIP section. He accused the store of racism and ridiculed the black employee who tried to assist him. This is modern 2022 racism Watch Jim Jones expose the oppression he faces as a, a black celebrity in America. We've been in Gucci for about an hour, right? And we're in Gucci in the VIP. We've been in Gucci for like two hours. Right? Since we came in here, having nobody came and showed us no courtesy, no amenities, no nothing. Period. Not even a drink of water. Asked to speak to the manager. 
send me a black guy out here that start telling me some bull so they got the black guy racial profiling on black people I have to speak to a manager bigger than him everybody disappeared ain't nobody come out yet I still ain't getting I still ain't get no sparkling water I still ain't get no champagne I still ain't get nothing I didn't have a salesperson inside of my VIP suite the whole time I was there I had to keep screaming for VIP people to help me out now everybody don't know where the real manager is. You heard? It's it's tired. I'm tired of this. We spending all this money as entertainers inside these stores. They hire these black people, and these black people are more racist than white people when they get their job inside of Gucci. All of a sudden, you, you stop playing with us, bro. Still haven't seen a manager yet. Still haven't seen a manager yet since I'm talking to you right now. Manager still hasn't popped out of Gucci. And the bill is like 29000 but we didn't pay that yet. You heard? Why would we? They still haven't sent a manager or bottle of sparkling water or anything that says that we appreciate your service for being in here in Gucci and spending that bag. The big one. The big one. They sent this guy. What is he possibly going to do? You heard? What is he going to do? Is what I want to know. Still haven't seen a manager. Is there a manager that works here or everybody's just a worker? America is just a comedy show. That, that's got to be comedy. That's a parody. It's certainly racist. And this is what I'm talking about. This anti-black racism is running rampant among black people. Jim Jones, look at that. What's he gonna do? That black boy they sent out here. What is he gonna do? This is crazy. They sent a black man out here to deal with me. Now, honestly, just roll the tape back to 1950 and think of a white, privileged, pampered, spoiled person. What they doing sending a black person out here to deal with me? They better send somebody white out here to deal with me. I'm not gonna deal with this black trash. This country is going crazy with race, racial idolatry, racism, bigotry, and it's flowing all directions, black and white. And the left is driving it. And that's why I stay constantly criticizing them. Because they're driving it. America, I don't care what anybody says, there was on a clear path of racial improvement for about 150 years. It wasn't perfect, but we were improving. Over this last decade, the left, at the behest of China, has taken us the total opposite direction. China is homogeneous and racist. And in search of rewards that global corporations get from China and pass out here in America, the left has turned America's diversity into our Achilles heel. They're rebirthing our nation by taking us back to a racist future. Everything's gonna be all white, it's just more Chinese propaganda packaged as racial justice. Racism is the tool China is using to screw America. It's hot in here. I'm hot, it's hot in here. I, 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 
That everything's when I saw that everything's going to be white teaser trailer yesterday, I, I my head nearly exploded. And and I mean, and I shouldn't even be surprised because I'm t- Netflix, all the all the networks just put out a steady stream of this type of racist propaganda. Uh, anytime you turn on uh, TV, any sporting event, there's going to be some commercial uh, telling black people you're victims. You can't make it here. You're like having cancer and being crippled. It's just a steady stream of racism being, and it's all being driven. Again, it's the left in bed with China. It's all propaganda. I'm sorry if it makes me look partisan by continuing to call out the left on this, but Christianity and fighting racism are my passion. And I'm gonna call out the people that I see flagrantly promoting racism. And y'all can sit up, well, what about the Proud Boys? I don't see no Visa commercial sponsored by the Proud Boys. I don't know what the Proud Boys are doing. I've never seen one. I've never seen them on TV promoting anything. They don't have documentaries, as far as I know, on major networks promoting racism. It takes Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper on CNN to even for me to even know the Proud Boys exist. And they have yet to show me any tangible proof of what it is they do. They, they show up and fight for Confederate statues. I, I don't know. But them Confederate statues aren't commercials saying, hey, you black people, you're crippled and with cancer. And boy, I hope you can get to the starting line. The KKK did not, as far as I know, set aside $30 million to pass out crack pipes to black people as part of racial justice and equity. The best they can show me about the KKK is that like 10 or 15 of them will show up at a rally trying to protect a Robert E. Lee statue. That has no impact on me or you. Look, maybe, and whatever happened on January 6th, no impact on me or you. It wasn't even about us. That was white people mad at white people and going to their place of employment to let Nancy Pelosi and them know they were mad at them. Wasn't Chuck Schumer? But the people setting aside $30 million for crack pipes, those are our heroes. Those are our allies. Y'all better wake up and cut the bull and quit lying to yourself. All right, we're gonna roll out to North Carolina and bring in uh, Shamika Michelle. Uh, Shamika, uh, I don't even know where to start. Uh, I'm gonna start with Jim Jones because I know you like rap music. And so uh, I'm gonna start there. Uh, can you believe the oppression Jim Jones suffered inside that Gucci store? 
I mean, he didn't get sparkling water, he didn't get champagne, and he was spending $29,000. Or, or, will you be able to sleep at night knowing Jim Jones suffered through that? Jason, what I want to know is why is Jim Jones even in the Gucci store to start with? Because about two years ago, they asked all black people to boycott Gucci because of the little black face monkey that they had hanging on the purses. So I want to know when are black people going to actually say that they're going to do something and then follow through with it? When are black people going to actually learn that what you wear does not make you the man that you think that you're supposed to be? I want black people to learn how to, to, to let their yay be yay and their nay be nay. So why are you even in the Gucci store, Jim Jones, when y'all just asked black people not to buy Gucci? Which one is it? Should we not buy Gucci because they're racist two years ago? Or should we go up in there and try to floss and spend $30,000 because we have low self-esteem and we need a name brand to make us feel like we're somebody in this world? And then, Jim Jones, I want to know... Do you believe in white supremacy? Apparently you do. Apparently you think white people are superior to black people because you didn't even want to talk to the black manager because you thought he wasn't good enough. So I need to know wh what is it, Jim Jones? Are are you really about this life? Because you really don't want this smoke. I need y'all to stop out being out here lying and pretending. Because if this black manager wasn't good enough to talk to, then that means you believe in black inferiority. I'm, I'm sorry, Jason, y'all. That was the first time I saw that video, and it was like me being a bull, seeing red, and getting the instructions tiptoe although you see red i'm i'm sorry that is ridiculous <laughs> to me let me move on to the visa commercial that <laughs> analogized us to cancer and having your leg cut off uh i, I just th this type of promotion of the fact that we are this victimized and this crippled, and when you see a black person, you should, oh, God, I, I just hope you, a speedy recover from your cancer of being black. That's the message of that commercial. I, but it's, it, I feel like I see it everywhere. It's everywhere, Jason, and I can't even believe that we are okay with this. Where is the anger towards Visa for this? I would have been uh, happier if they would have said, if she would have said, I'm a female. So I'm, I'm not as strong or, you know, physically strong. I would have accepted that. But she didn't. She said, I am African-American among people who are not. So here we are again buying into white supremacy. We blame everybody else and say, oh, th they're white supremacists. They believe they're superior. Then who, who actually believes they're superior? You have to buy into that. And that is what she did as an actress to even go along with that. That is what Visa is pushing. The fact that simply skin color determines that you're starting at a different place in life is crazy to me. My children grew up in a $300,000 home with uh, 
name, you know, name brand cars in the driveway, went to the best schools. My daughter just graduated high school with a 4.3. Is she behind simply because she's black? Would that mean she comes behind the little white girl who graduated with a 2.5? The little white girl who grew up in a trailer park whose mama or daddy was a drunk and never came home at night? Because she's black, would that put her behind? She's not at the same starting line. That's ridiculous to me. And this is why I don't buy into all of this, this foolishness that they're putting out here because it doesn't make sense. Your color, the color of your skin does not mean you're behind and we should all be offended by it. This is not about right or left or Republican or Democrat. This is about common sense and and being mentally challenged. And I'm starting to believe that a lot of people out here are mentally challenged. It's the degree that is the question, because this. There's no common sense in this, no logic. Uh, I believe a black man by the name of Sasha Jenkins is the director, producer of this Everything's Gonna Be All White documentary on Showtime. And just be, it, it debuts on Friday. We can watch it then or we can ignore it then. But based on this teaser, there's the older black woman saying one of the definitions of whiteness in America is ignorance. She says that midway through the trailer. And then the trailer ends with this woman, Amanda Seals, a comedian, going, oh, I just be, Harry Tubman and, and Freddie Douglas, they just be like, oh, what they gonna do? And, and so I'm just like, is anybody paying attention? We're saying the definition of whiteness is ignorance. And then we're featuring this woman, Amanda Seals, talking as ignorantly as you can possibly, that looked like a 1920s minstrel show. Oh, what's they gonna be doing? Oh, Freddie, oh, it's wild, y'all. Your reaction to the everything's gonna be all right trailer and just these docs and just the movies that come out all with the same theme, white people are the worst thing that ever happened to the planet. So, Jason, having an inability to move uh, from the past is is a result of trauma. My question is, do you have trauma or PTSD from something that you did not even live? None of us lived during slavery. I did not even live during the Jim Crow era. So my question is, why do we feel like white people who did not live through slavery should be held to this, you know, to pay for the sins of their fathers. It doesn't make sense. Also, you cannot claim to be a Christian if you want to hold people to these standards. The scripture says that if any man be in Christ, he uh, is a new creature. All things, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. This would mean you can't hold somebody to even their own past once they are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are supposed to forget those things that are behind and reach forth unto those things that are before. So none of these people could claim they're Christians. When I see them wanting to hold white people to a past 
past that they had nothing to do with. I think about my own father. My own father, according to my mother, was a rapist. Does that mean that I am perpetually having to pay for his sins? I had nothing to do with that. I am an innocent person that was created because of his evil. But do am I supposed to pay? Am I supposed to continually apologize to my mother or any other person that has suffered any type of rape or sexual trauma? Am I supposed to not be able to move ahead and have success in life because of what he did? This to me is what they're saying. It makes absolutely no sense that you want to hold people that had nothing to do with that, what their ancestors did and say, yes, they should be responsible. That is foolishness. Again, it goes back to me feeling like people are mentally challenged. How can you even sit and think that that makes any type of sense? It doesn't. Shamika, uh, that was awesome. Uh, you've taken us to church. You've made, I'm gonna call a bit of an audible here uh, we're going to wrap up this segment, but I, I want you to stick around because we're, I'm supposed to go to TJ Moe next. I'm not going to do that. Sorry, TJ. I'm going to bring Pastor Bobby and Pastor Anthony out here, and I just want them to respond to what we've just been talking about, what, what you just laid out beautifully, and then we're going to talk about this whole thing. Then I'm going to bring on Denise McAllister and talk about sexuality and Christianity. And then I'm going to bring Bobby and Anthony back out to react to her. So uh, thank you so much. Don't go anywhere. I, I want you to be able to chime in when I bring Bobby and uh, Anthony out here. I hope we're all ready back there. Bobby and Anthony have been through makeup. <clears throat> uh, before we go any further, Patriot Mobile. I want to tell you guys about right now, there's a full scale assault on truth and your right to speak it. From YouTube to Spotify, the left is waging a war on free speech with the help of big tech and the U.S. government. Thankfully, there are still some companies that believe in our Constitution. That's why I'm proud to partner with Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They use the same towers as all other major car uh, carriers use. So you get the same great nationwide coverage. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget and their 100% US-based team provides exceptional customer support. More importantly, Patriot Mobile shares your values and supports organizations fighting for the religious freedom, constitutional rights, and sanctity of life. Go to patriotmobile.com Jason or call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation with the offer code Jason. They have special discounts for veterans and first responders. Support a company that loves America, loves you, and shares your values. PatriotMobile.com slash Jason. All right, welcome back. <clears throat> uh, time for some uh, Tennessee Harmony. Uh, and we're going to continue the conversation I was just having with uh, Shamika. Shamika's still here as well, but we, we were talking about uh, the Showtime uh, documentary, Everything's Going to Be All White, and just the Visa commercial, and, and just how everything right now in America seems to be focused on racial division. 
And, and Shamika said something at the end of, of the first segment where she talks about being made new in Christ. And it made me, I got to get to Bobby and Anthony quicker. Uh, and so guys, uh, bless our conversation before I come to you guys with some questions. I'll start. Uh, great to be here, Lord. We pray for this conversation because uh, at the root of it is so much that's being created that will cause hatred. And we just pray that uh, we would be able to be a voice against hatred. I pray in Christ's name. As always, Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to converse and to share. Father, bless us uh, as we endeavor to handle this conversation with grace and love and that all that we say and do is pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to go, and Shamika, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, as you and I have gotten to know each other and, and we've talked about your walk with God, one of the issues I think you have had and have been frustrated with Christians is we won't even follow the basic principles set forth in the Bible about, hey, when you get baptized in this water, you are made anew and your whole, your past becomes irrelevant. And I know that as someone who's made some mistakes in their life, myself and yourself in terms of being a stripper and things like that, it frustrated you that Christians couldn't recognize, accept, deal with the new Shamika Michelle and wanted to throw your past up in your face. A am I accurate in saying that's been part of your frustration? You're accurate in saying that that's part of my frustration, yes. I also believe that a lot of times I see that Christians don't believe what they claim they believe. I, you know, um, if you're actually a light, let that light shine so that men can see. I don't see a lot of Christians light shining. I see them saying a lot of the right things, but I don't see them doing a lot of the right things. So that's kind of my frustration as well. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So to me, if you aren't drawing men to yourself, it could be perhaps that you aren't lifting Jesus. You could be lifting your ego. You could be lifting your pride. But Jesus is not a man that he should lie. So if what he says is true, then we should see it in the fruit that you bear. And so part of my frustration is I talked about it in my mono being born in 1967, a year before Dr. King was assassinated. Dr. King was a real hero for me. And I've, my life as a Christian and just as someone who wanted to promote uh, racial progress, togetherness, harmony, I took those cues from Dr. King and see myself as a descendant of his legacy and I look at where we're at now and combine it with what should, all of our Christian values, it just seems like we have, many of us have thrown out the window in pursuit of racial justice or whatever. And so we're trying to hold people responsible for things that they did not do or things that they may have repented for been made anew in Christ, but we still want to hold them responsible for it. 
it frustrates me unbelievably. I just, it, it's driving me crazy that our Christian morals, ethics, values don't seem to be manifesting themselves in any real way in this time as it relates to race. Mm. You go. <laughs> you know, even as you say that, um, there's context behind the entire narrative, not just one side. So you're looking at Dr. King's response to the racism that he lived through and of the time. But my question would be, what about those same people who claimed to know Christ who were perpetuating racism? Like there is a response to racism, but then there is the racism itself. Like, how could you love Jesus and not love someone else because of their race? How could the, both of those things be? And so even when we look in, in the Bible, there's evidence of that. And there's evidence of that even in the early church. Uh, Jews and Gentiles, they did not get along. Jews had a view uh, against Gentiles that they were dirty, that they were naturally dirty, like there was no way they could get around that. But, but Paul came to preach to Gentiles and to Jews. He came to preach the, the good news to Gentiles. So now in this new church that is now with Jews and Gentiles, there was still remnants of that behavior. That's, those are the scriptures that we're reading when we hear Paul say, you're a new creature in Christ. He's speaking to, hey guys, you can't respond to each other like that because you're not to refer to each other based off of you know, your past. You're supposed to refer to each other based off of who you are in Christ. But they still lived that same particular life. So that same stuff was evident in the scriptures, so much so Paul had to confront Peter. Peter, I mean, one of the right-hand men of Jesus, Peter, because of his own racism. Peter would act one way around Jews and would act another way around Gentiles. And in Galatians, Paul says, I had to confront him to his face. It wasn't the fact that Peter wasn't in Christ. It was that Christ was not in Peter. It was not in his Behavior. So what I say, you know, growing up, you talk about, you know, looking back to Dr. King uh, as a hero of your time. I, you know, being born in the 80s, I look back to a lot of those guys as well for that heroic response. But the, the crash that happened in my life was when I went to high school and college. I'm in high school. I am one of 23 uh, black kids out of the whole class. It's 470 of us. So it's very few black kids in my school. Several times I'm one of, you know, in my only class. So I experienced racism in high school in the late 90s, uh, 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 late 90s. But then when I get to college, I go to a predominantly white Christian college. The last place that I should experience any element of racism should be in a Christian college. One, because we're in the year 2000 and beyond. We're 2000 years beyond uh, Christ. We should know how to live Christ like by now. We're years beyond what Dr. King stood for and heroically drove into our country. So certainly I should not experience any of it. When I experienced it then, man, it's like, what's going on here? How does this exist? So my element of life, how I try to live, 
You know, I see things that everybody else might see as, oh, that's got to be racist. Oh, look at this. This is racist. My first reaction, even though I may be sensitive to that because of my own experiences, I have to fight to be Christ-like. I have to look at those people through grace. I have to look at those people through, why would you still be exhibiting this behavior when slavery and silver, all that stuff happened years ago? Why would you in this day still be exhibiting that behavior? It's obvious this may not be about Christ, and it may not be about you being in Christ. So that's, that's the thing that I look at, not just the response. And I do charge people. We do need to respond Christ-like to racism. But my question is, for those that claim to love Christ, how can you still hold those values, those racist values? Yeah, it's, it's two different ways of saying the same thing. There's this sense in which throughout time, there's been a lot of people who claim to be true Christians who are not. Uh, in, in Martin Luther King's time, in our time, uh, there's a lot of people, Shamika, you're right, uh, a lot of people, in fact, the, the vast majority of people don't have a real clear sense of when you're made new in Christ, you are really made new. And we should look at each other and call each other into that. So that's fantastic. And I agree with all that. I also wanted to comment, I thought you were great, both both you, Jason, and Shamika, in calling it out because uh, there's not enough people calling this stuff out today. And it's just permeating. Uh, society and taking over and it's creating this mindset because it's a false worldview not based on Jesus not based on truth it's a false worldview and false worldviews tend to lead to hate and and this is just going to lead to a lot of hate because if you feel like uh, that you're, you're you're a white-skinned person and you're holding me back you're oppressing me my, my natural response, most people are not godly. The natural response is anger and uh, some form of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to oppress you back. I'm going to get you back. And the next thing we know, it's people hating people. So, listen, I, I think what's frustrating me is that, take Anthony, and I get your perspective, because I, I certainly feel like I have experienced some things that were unfair in life. And what I've, at age 54 and probably much earlier, what I realized, like, I've done some unfairness to people. Mm -hmm. And I've done some unfairness to white people. Mm -hmm. And, and it, I don't think it was born out of hatred of white people. It was born out of my immaturity, stupidity, sinful nature. Uh, and so what I've learned to do is be like, well, man, if I'm capable of that kind of unfairness, mm -hmm. so is the other person. And so the only, my best solution is to work on me, to make sure I'm more fair with everybody. And I'm going to offer grace uh, to everyone else, the same grace I deserve. And so I, I could sit, I, I may have told this story before, but I bullied a kid in high school, a white kid in high school, uh, terribly. Spit on him. Mm. And it, it's, it's one of my biggest regrets in life. It haunts me to this day. And it wasn't born of racism. It was born of stupidity. That guy may be somewhere... <laughs> 
Whitlock, racist, mm -hmm. SOB, mm -hmm. yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I, try, I had my reasons for bullying him. They, they were flawed. I thought the guy had made a mistake in his dealings with me and the football team or whatever and justified in my mind, but it was just, it was stupid and wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I just, I, I'm looking at a society that's being baited into whatever bad experience you had in the past justifies you making these big, bold racial proclamations about white people. Mm -hmm. That's racist mm -hmm. and it needs to stop. Yep. And uh, it promotes additional racism. Right. It, it, it makes this everything's going to be all white documentary does not help in any way. That's right. It, it actually takes us the opposite direction. And I'm seeing people who claim to be victims of oppression getting very comfortable expressing their anti-white racism. It's unhealthy and it's just going to create more and more division uh, in America. And it, it's, 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 it's not helping us or them yeah. or society. Well, from a, from a biblical perspective though, um, that Paul spoke to both Jews and Gentiles. He understood the Gentile experience in the church. He talked to Jews about, wait, you can't look to Gentiles in this way. In the book of Ephesians, he breaks down the fact how it was Christ that broke down the things that separate us, the middle wall of partition and unites us both by way of the cross. So Paul talks to Jews. And the reason why he had to talk to Jews and Gentiles is because when they would come to worship, he does this in Corinth as well. When they would come to worship, uh, they would not sit with the Gentiles. All the Jews would sit over here. All the Gentiles would sit there. Or they would tell Gentiles in their teaching, well, you need to learn a little bit more uh, to be more like us before you can come into Christ. And Paul said, no, they don't need to be converted to Jews. They need to be converted to Christ. Like he had to break this down because even after Christ, that same behavior shows. I look at this perspective as it relates to um, the documentary and, and all we've seen, all I've seen is, is the trailer. Is there an element that can take the anger from that and pervert it? Yes. I think there's an element, as you talked earlier about frustration with the direction of the country, frustration in the direction of the culture. There's an anger that somebody can take from that and say, hey, are you mad about this, 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 and this? Let's go storm the Capitol. Okay, well, no, wait a minute now. That's not, that, that may not be the best way we do it, but that, they can capture that. But somebody's got to speak to, okay, now why do you guys feel this way? Why, why are you, and that's why, you know, uh, President Trump, he, he garnered a lot of support by utilizing some of the frustrations that people had. Their frustrations could have been well-placed, but if I just take that and run with it, I can speak to a different narrative. So I'm saying that to say, is there an element of folk that could take this narrative of, okay, let's hear what happened in the 60s, the 40s, the 50s. Let's hear what happened in some of these areas. Let's hear what happened. And then they can say, now let's use that anger to make them feel this pain now. Okay, now wait a minute. That's not why we learn history. We don't learn history at all 
to repeat it, we learn history so that we don't repeat it. When we learn about things like the Holocaust, when we learn about the suffering of Jews in the past, we don't learn about that to repeat that. We learn to say, okay, we don't need to do this anymore. So as it relates to the documentary and looking at it from a biblical perspective, I understand there's an element that'll take that and run with it. And there's an element in our culture that does pry on victimization, you know, wanting people to feel victimized or oppressed and to run with that. But if we run that way, we're going to run away from Christ. So I want people to run to Christ, but at the same time, be uh, give that grace to those who may be looking. Because I'm speaking from, you know, 80s kid. When I look back to some of the books that we studied in high school about, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, man, some of the books talked about, you know, the great things that he did. But what used to confuse me as a kid is, well, why would this man who was so great in his era, why was he hated so bad? He was hated because he was telling people the truth about what God called us to be, not judged by the content, I'm not judged by the color of our skin, but Let me by ask the content you this, though, Anthony. Shoot. And, and as a theologian or whatever, I, I'm, I'm not remotely baffled by why Dr. King was hated. He, he preached Christian values. In the Bible, Basically, an ex. Oh, if you follow these values, you're going to be hated. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You may be crucified. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jesus yeah. was sure. And so, it, it's not remotely baffling to me that, and, and it's really, I don't even find it interesting that he was hated, because that's been foretold in the Bible. What really interests me mostly is I wonder how God felt about Dr. Martin Luther King. All right. That's that's the judgment that I'm looking. And again, there's a lot to unpack there because there's what he did publicly and then there's what he did privately. And so a discussion about how God felt about Dr. Martin Luther King based off of his private life and based off what he did. That's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. But the world only engaged with Dr. King publicly and publicly. He expressed his Christian beliefs boldly and proudly and to a massive audience. And so any seasoned, mature Christian, I mean, of course he was hated. I mean, yeah. publicly, I mean, my yeah. God, he defended Jesus. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what, <laughs> he was hated then, but he's loved now. I'm not, I don't think he's loved now. Oh, okay. Because okay. I'm just going to, if he was loved now, we wouldn't be rejecting his principles as swiftly as we are. Yeah. Gotcha. And gotcha. we're walking away from all, we're not judging people by the content of their character. That older black woman is probably around my age, maybe a little bit older. There's no way she is biblically sound for her to be on TV saying, you know, one of the definitions of white America is ignorance. That that's yeah, that's and the woman is cackling and all the ignorance that, that none of these people, that whole documentary is a rejection of Dr. King. And so he's still hated today. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just to be honest with you, you got. It's almost like the, the people that hate him has flipped or, yeah. you know, I, I can't even say that because there was a lot of black people that sat inside the house and was like, Dr. King's out there stirring up a bunch of trouble and they didn't like him then. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't, I hear a lot of people 
you know, well, they would have hated him back then. Well, so would you, because most of us aren't that bold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I, I just, I, oh, hold for, Shamika, I just, do you want to jump in here? You got anything you want to say? I certainly got more, but. <laughs> I have a question. I want to ask the pastors about anger. Like I know the Bible says, be angry and sin not. But I want to talk about maybe righteous anger. Um, And when the Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. Sometimes I do feel like that I walk in the spirit of Ezekiel. I do feel like there are times when I'm going to go into the temple and I'm going to overturn the tables of the money changers. Like, (laughs) I don't feel like that I'm going to always tiptoe. So I want to talk about when we're coming up against some of this uh, that we see as far as racism and the all out assault and attack right now that I feel like not only are Christians enduring, not only, you know, when it comes to freedom, I don't believe that all the time you're going to be able to be soft and sweet and tiptoe and wrap them in, in your arms. So you sometimes have to be, you know, uh, wise as a serpent. Yeah. I love that you're bringing this up because the difficulty today is that so many Christians feel like they've got to be, you know, the version of Jesus, Jesus meek, uh, gentle and mild. Well, there was also Jesus in the temple courts grabbing a whip and Jesus calling out the scribes and the Pharisees and condemning them. And so both things are true. And I think that, uh, like I'm a, uh, I grew up in Canada. If you go to Canada now, where a lot of these policies have been in place for a long time, the average Christian has become so uh, afraid to say anything that that they're going to be canceled or they're going to be looked down on that they've stopped speaking. And uh, like this show, what you're saying, Jason, and what you're sh- saying, Shamika, here's the tragedy. There's not a lot of places where this is being said right now. And there is a place for prophets uh, to speak out and say the truth and to say it boldly, to say it with conviction. Uh, and to, when we're speaking it, we're speaking about themes and what people do. We're not personally attacking individuals, but we're attacking ideas and philosophies that destroy, uh, that destroy people and, and are destroying our country. And uh, you are so right to bring up how important it is how important it is to be brave. Did you answer her question directly about what she should do with her anger? What What is, am I right? Is that, is that the question you were asking? Yeah. Yeah, so, I just. So in, in um, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. So anger, uh, biblically, uh, Jesus tells us to be angry and sin not. So there's a place for you to be angry, but when that anger drives you to be sinful, okay, that's not godly at all. So we have to be spirit led in all that we do. Galatians chapter five, keep in step with the spirit. And even though my flesh and even though my emotions and even though God has given me these things to feel and experience in my anger, I have to deal with that how God would want me to deal with that. As we look at Jesus in the temple courts, yes, Jesus did at one time, you know, braid up a whip, uh, whipping folk, 
turning over temple tables, but that wasn't Jesus 24 seven. Like that's an instance that we see of Jesus that we know. But what was he angry about? Okay, he's angry about how people are being, you know, misused and, and cheated in God's temple, in the temple of prayer, in this house of prayer. So he's saying with the things that have crept in from the world have come into the church and you guys are having fun with this. And so he he does that in that instance. But were other things that made Jesus upset? Jesus was is angry about sin in general, um, but he also handles us with grace. So, you know, I look at it as you you know reflect, Shamika, on some things that make you angry. There's some things that make me angry as it relates. I have to call sometimes Bobby, as I as I mentioned earlier, if I experience something that I think, OK, wait a minute. Now, this seems or feels like there's some kind of you know, race or something behind this. It doesn't make sense. I'll call him. I said, Bobby, look, this made me want to do. We had an incident recently where, you know, my kids in school were given an assignment and the way that um, they depicted uh, a picture of someone with a broom was, you know, an older black woman with a broom. And I've got a black daughter uh, who is in many of her class settings, the only kid in there. And I'm thinking, well, I don't want the only image that she sees of black people in school that she spends eight hours. I don't want the only image for her to see is, well, we've got brooms or we're slaves or we're this. I was hot about that. And I talked with my good friend, Bobby. I said, man, this this is frustrating. Like, I, and I, I, I don't want to blame the teacher because the teacher is probably teaching from a curriculum and the school has approved the curriculum. And I don't know where and who to direct my anger to. But I was angry. And as we talk, he said, man, I, I understand how you could see that. Like, I understand that perspective. Why? If we're trying to identify where the broom is, you know, you could put that on any kind of assignment. You don't need that. You know, he can relate to that. I'm angry. Yeah. But the end result comes out of that. I take it a lot in prayer. Uh, I, I do emphasize, to, you know, to my kids how beautiful they are, how, how God made us all uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. So, so I work through that. But I don't want my anger to lead me to hate anybody, because if this is a righteous thing, if it's a godly thing, the conclusion will not be that I hate anybody. Even God, the people that we think are the worst individuals on this planet, God loves them and he loves me at the same time. So so if I'm going to be godly, I've got to process my anger, be angry at the sin, but love the sinner. This is a question uh, I've asked for a long time is and, and, you know, my mother and her generation, my father, they went to schools where they had black teachers and uh, they they were although my mother, they, she went to Short Ridge High School in Indianapolis when they first started integrating Short Ridge, but through grade school and junior high, it was an all-black environment. My father went to Crispus Annex High School, all black. And, and I, I ask a lot of us black people, we're sending our kids to white schools and then questioning why things lean white or presented in a, a white fact, you're getting what you paid for. And so, so I, I chose to go to Ball State University and play football. 
I could have went to an HBCU and had the ultimate black experience. Mm -hmm. I chose to go to Ball State. And I, I'm telling when I was a kid in college, mm -hmm. and I would hear a lot of my teammates say, well, how come they don't have this or they don't have that? I go, hey, man, we chose to come. We're on scholarship. <laughs> they didn't false advertise what this was. And, and, and now, because we're, I think at that time, we were maybe three, four percent of the population at the school. We want them to cater things and make it feel like an HBCU. That, that feels crazy to me. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it's like if you choose assimilation, and I, I, I put no negative on American assimilation. I, I don't put a negative on that. But if you choose that, go for it. Uh, or make a different choice. If, if you want the ultimate black experience, go to a black school. And, and, and I, I say that with no negative. These are questions I've been asking since I was a kid and challenging myself and my friends. Because uh, I have some regrets. Like, man, I wish, maybe I wish I had gone to an HBCU. I love Ball State. But I wish I had gone to an HBCU. So that crosses my mind a lot of times. But but that is the question. I, I you're you're developing a very mature attitude about things when you when you describe it that way, which I think is really important to healthy thinking. Jason, can I add something to Shamika's question? Yeah. So there's two things about well three things about anger. The first thing about anger is God made us to be angry. And we get angry when there's an injustice like this isn't right. And it's a it's a natural part of a human being to get angry. So let's just affirm that, because in a lot of places, uh, a lot of people I've heard, you know, you, you shouldn't get angry. Well, no, you're going to God made you to get angry and angry. Anger is a gift. But how you express it is super important. You got to be so careful with your words. I have a slide that we may uh, hold till uh, we talk about Denise McAllister that I, I'd like to bring up about controlling your tongue. And then the third thing, and this is the concern I have right now. In the passage people are quoting, that we're all quoting from Ephesians 4, uh, in your anger don't sin. It also says don't let the sun go down on your anger don't give the devil a foothold. It's mm -hmm. Ephesians 4, mm -hmm. 27. Mm -hmm. now, now, the language uh, in that verse is talking about don't give Satan a place to stand. Mm -hmm. Well, what's that? Do you know that you can get angry at people and you can let resentment build and you can give Satan and the demons a place to stand where it leads to resentment and bitterness and ongoing anger. Bad decision. And that is really not healthy. And uh, the, the difficulty I have right now is that we're discipling people through, you pointed through, you know, China. It's really the Marxism. It's Marxist ways of thinking that we are discipling people into and we are discipling them to be angry all the time to give Satan a foothold. And that is a problem. That was awesome, Bobby, because that is exactly uh, what is happening. Because once you start living in that spirit of anger, your decision making, I've made right. decisions out of anger that have always come back to bite me in the rear end. And, and so 
you know, I'm glad you talked about the second half of Ephesians 4 mm -hmm. and about how, you know, you got to put this away because if you let it linger, it's going to manifest itself in a way you won't even connect the dots. That's right. That it, you may be angry at Anthony and two weeks later, you may take it out on, on your wife. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or that night, you know, or if you've been discipled to be angry at people because of their race, then all of a sudden everybody of that race is the same thing. And, you know, there's a, a George Yancey is a, a great commentator right now on this. He said, here's the thing everybody better get ready for. And he says it's called the white lash, because mm -hmm. when you keep striking out and striking out, there are going to be ungodly people who get so fed up with all this talk about racism that all of a sudden they have bitterness and they're going to go the other way back. And the next thing you know, it just even gets worse. Yeah. Samika, so I'm going to give you the final word. Just tagging what he just said. I remember Katie Hopkins saying before, like, what is it? She, as a white person, what is it that you all want from us? It seems that you will not be happy unless we are in chains and we are the ones being whipped. And it sounded crazy to me at the time, but that's exactly what it seems like is happening with black people in wanting to hold white people today responsible for something that happened that they had nothing to do with. And it makes me afraid that it will get worse. Well, not really afraid, but I can see that there's nothing good that's going to come from that because once you start to then make white people feel like they have to be guilty for something that they they had nothing to do with, then they're going to come back and then be angry right. again. So it's a cycle that we're repeating. And if we don't stand flat footed and actually stop it, then as you said, yes, we're going to give the devil a foothold. And there's, you know, I've always heard you can't stop the bird from flying over the tree, but you can stop them from building a nest <laughs> there. And so it is time for us to stop the building of the nest, because if we Amen. don't, we're, we're in for big trouble, and even our children and their children will suffer because of it. All right. Uh, we're going to take a little break from Tennessee Harmony and bring in uh, Denise McAllister, and then we're going to circle back to Bobby and Anthony because Denise McAllister talks, writes, a lot about sexuality and Christianity and she's I'm sure she's going to say some interesting things here on the show and I can't wait to hear Bobby and Anthony respond to that uh, before we go I want to tell you about my good friends at Good Ranchers uh, most of the meat that is sold to us at local grocery stores is not what it seems much of it is mislabeled as having come from America when in reality it's been shipped here from overseas. That's why you need to see our friends over at Good Ranchers. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat sourced directly from farms right here in the good old USA. You'll get the highest quality cuts of beef, chicken, and seafood, and you can get it shipped directly to your home. Plus, their packaging makes it easy to cook what you want and save the rest, which you can keep 
from wasting away and you can use it again you can use it again good ranchers is my place to get meat of choice i keep telling you guys the number one reason to get good ranchers because it supports american farmers it supports uh traditional american values it supports the point of view of this show it supports you so right now Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. You can get $25 off your box, or you can type in the promo code fearless at checkout and get $25 off uh, your, your, your uh, meat and savings. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless at checkout. Thank you for supporting the sponsor that supports me and you and our point of view. All right, Denise McAllister. Thanks. All right, welcome back. Uh, you know what? I'm really excited about this next guest. Uh, Denise McAllister uh, has been one of my new favorite finds over social media, over Twitter. And, and I'm gonna expose some of my ignorance in this interview because as many of you know, I'm not some traditional media political figure that knows all the ins and outs and all the connections between uh, everybody in the media. I, I, you know, I, I grew up in the sports lane and as a sports media person who you know, observes the culture, but again, I just don't know the political ins and outs the way that other people at The Blaze and other people in the media do. Uh, but I do know that Denise McAllister has some of the most provocative thoughtful tweets that I read anywhere. I can't say I agree with all of them. Some, some of them shake me to my core and make me, is she right, am I wrong? Uh, and so I've wanted to have Denise on. I'm going to embarrass myself a little bit and have her walk me through a little bit of her background and, and cause I did read up on the controversy I think between herself and uh, the Daily Wire and the Federalist. I think a couple years ago she got crossways with the Federalist because, and, and I went back and read the tweets and it, to be quite honest, it sounded like the kind of stuff I would have the balls to say. And it's, it sounded like the kind of stuff, a mat, you know, I don't wanna put words in someone else's mouth, but Denise McAllister strikes me the same way as Matt Walsh does. She does not apologize for her biblical view of the world. And the world seems to want to make her apologize and ostracize her for her biblical view of the world. Uh, Denise, uh, welcome to Fearless, where I can tell you here, you can say whatever the hell you want. <laughs> I'm not gonna kick you out. I'm not gonna apologize for having you on even if you say some things I disagree with. Uh, but <clears throat> help me out here, just because some of my audience isn't hardcore political or whatever, but it seems like you were the typical conservative insider up until a year or two ago, and then you got canceled or they tried to cancel you and you've just become even more outspoken. Is, is that accurate? It is, and I, first, I just wanna say that bless you for not being aware of all the political insight that goes on. It is, uh, it's, 
just like politics, media politics is ugly. And it's probably good to be on the outside looking in so you can stay objective and you can look at the real issues that are going on in our society without getting caught up in the personalities and the allegiances and the friendships and associations and, and, you know, the hurt feelings and all that kind of thing that goes on in office politics and media politics and regular politics. So, you know, I think it's really a blessing that, that you have that kind of objectivity. And I thank you for having me on. And I thank you for what you're doing for our culture. I know you're a sports guy and you're from where I'm, you, you worked at Charlotte Observer for a while, didn't you? You were down here in the I South. I did work at the Charlotte Observer, yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm from. Um, I live in this area. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate your, your objectivity and what you bring to it. As far as the canceling, yeah, a couple years ago, almost three years ago, I, I, was, I was a writer for Daily Wire, Federalist, um, a commentator on, on various news networks, Fox News, Sean Hannity Radio, uh, all, all kinds, NPR, name it. And I, I was a pretty provocative writer. I was one of the first in conservative media who came out really explaining why the forgotten man was supporting Donald Trump. And even though I was a Cruz supporter, I understood why we needed to vote for Donald Trump. And that created a lot of conflict in-house um, among you know, writers and, and commentators on the right. And, and so from there, that was always provocative. And, and I've always had a biblical worldview and I've always never um, compromised on that. And I'm going to say the truth about what I think the Bible says. And if I don't know what the truth is, I'll give you my opinion. But when I know what the truth is and I want to know what God's truth is, especially speaking to this culture, and I think we need that kind of objective understanding of truth today, I will speak it. And it may not always be nice. It may not always be kind. I try to now in a better way, uh, not getting into Twitter fights. Uh, but the truth is the truth, even if it's spoken harshly. And, you know, that's what I did. I did that um, in a conversation with someone about sexuality who had been attacking my heterosexuality. And I was canceled by the right for this. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of funny now that three years later, there's all this anti-canceling going on, on on the right when there's been a lot of canceling being done on the right of the right about uncomfortable topics in today's society. It, it does seem like to me that a lot of people on the right only want to go so far in expressing their their alleged biblical worldview. They don't, they don't want to go far enough to upset the LGBTQ crowd. That's a line they don't seem to want to cross, and it seems like you don't care. You're just going to say what you believe to be the truth and let the chips fall where they may. And I gotta admit, I, I respect that. And I part of me thinks the things that happened to you two or three years ago, uh, as it related to, is it Yasher Ali, I think, uh, is the kind of saucy comment that I've seen other people make that doesn't get them canceled. But it seems like because you're a, I, I thought it felt a little sexist to me that you were getting canceled for saying something a little saucy and and either you got canceled or got disavowed because you were a woman or because 
you were an outspoken Christian. If you had been some atheist woman or some woman, I, I, I don't know what Ann Coulter is. I don't know if she's religious or not, but it, it seems like she would say the kind of thing you said and nothing would happen. But because you so lean into your Christian values, that was an excuse to cancel you because you kind of, you stand for heterosexuality pretty strongly. Uh, I, I don't know. And, this is all speculation on my part because I'm not an expert, but did any of it feel sexist to you or did you feel like you were treated extra hard because you lean so hard into your Christian faith? I, I usually don't like to go to the sexist card. Uh, I'm a big defender of masculinity. So uh, I, um, I think that if there was any kind of sexism to play, there, there is a bit of a boys club in conservative media, they they tend to circle the rat wagons around themselves. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't really want to go there. That's pure conjecture on my part. I think yep. there's a lot of personal things behind the scenes. Uh, people who are friends with Yasher Ali, who's a liberal, by the way, and who has is a fraud and a hack and has uh, abused people on the right. Um, we're friends with the people behind the scenes who are conservatives or, or who are conservative who had uh, connections. There, there's so many layers to this. It has to do with money. It has to do with donors to, to these sites. It has to do with personal relationships. There's a lot of layers. Um, but one of, one thing that is a layer that will be relevant to all of you who are concerned about canceling, and, and that's mainly my focus now, is, is that uh, there is a fear of the LGB part of the LGBT, um, even on the right. And um, there's quite a lot of comfort in criticizing transgenderism, but not any comfort in criticizing the actual reality of what we call an identity called homosexuality. And that's something that I breach and have broached in the past and analyzed and did not make any friends on the right because of that. And my defense here is not of heterosexuality. My defense is of human identity that we are objectively designed with a purpose by our creator in a certain way as male and female for a certain purpose in relationships that is good for society. That is the foundation of the liberties that we say we're fighting for. And what I'm saying, because I love liberty, I love freedom. I want to fight for those things. I'm quite libertarian in some ways. Uh, you know, but I know that if we don't understand what our objective truth is about ourselves, about our relationships, about who we are, then we will not understand the relationships that build the fundamental foundations that are the cornerstone of our society and our freedoms. That if the family goes away, we don't have liberty. If the male and female marriage goes away and families organically, not these constructed new normals, but real, connected, organic, God-designed families, that is the foundation of our liberty. And if we don't hold on to that, if we don't hold on to ourselves and our understanding of who we are, we can talk about Joe Biden not being able to put two words together. We can talk about you know, COVID and all the fraud there. We can talk about canceling and truckers and all of this kind of thing, but it doesn't matter if we have lost our understanding of truth and who we are in the foundation of society. All right, so why I find you so fascinating 
is because you seem to be one of the few people I can find on social media wh whose point of view seems to be, and the thing they like to talk about the most is sexuality and spirituality uh, and their importance and, and you can't separate the two. And so your biblical worldview, you talk about sexuality as a foundational part of your biblical worldview. And it's such a common sense thing th that you shouldn't be applauded for doing it, but it feels like you're the only one doing it in the, I don't know, you're not in the mainstream media anymore, or maybe I'll just call you, but of all the talk, I can't find anybody else doing it. Are there other people like you that are using their social media platforms to talk about Christianity and sexuality and, and as strongly as you do, other than everybody else, what I see is a lot of talk about inclusivity and, and you love to talk about the exclusivity of God and his vision for us. Is there anybody else doing it? I don't think there's anyone else doing it the way I do it. You hear a lot about relationship advice from a biblical worldview. Uh, you'll hear a lot about inclusivity that you've you're talking about, about all these different identities, you know, of sexuality and how we can work together. Uh, you know, um, but you know, and we have we have a defense about men and women as far as opposing transgenderism. But you don't really hear a lot about the understanding again of human identity. And our sexuality is very much a part of our human identity. Uh, and we need to understand, and this is very important, especially in the age in which we live, in which sexuality has become the idol of our age. It is our identity in the world. It's so funny. A lot of people, Christians even, or anyone on social media will say, Denise, are you obsessed with sex? Because you talk a lot about sex and sexuality. You must be obsessed. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm really not. Um, but our culture is. It's everywhere. It has become the identity of the age. Because as soon as we abandoned our identity being rooted in God's design and objective truth, we be it became about our feelings. It became about whatever we want, whatever we feel, what our drives are, our pathologies, our psychologies. And what is the most predominant drive in, besides survival? In, in the human species, and it, it is our sexuality. And ever since the 1960s and the unrolling of the sexual revolution, you know, sexual liberty, sexual expression, sexual exp freedom has become the, the focal point of, of human identity and human freedom. And feminism itself, modern feminism, is completely focused on sexual expression, sexual freedom. As long as I can express myself like a man, as a woman, then, you know, then somehow I'm liberated, I'm equal. You know, and, and this is just unraveled even into, you know, the, the LGBT. You know, you are your identity. Whatever you feel, whatever your attractions are, whatever your momentary um, compulsions or, or you know, attractions are at, at the moment, that that is your identity as a sexual being. And you've got to understand our identity as creatures, you know, our identity as God designed creatures, you know, sexuality is part of that. It's part of our being human. And so we need to understand that in the right context and what that means as far as our relationships with each other, because our sexuality is all about relationships. And it has to do with our relationship with God and the expression of the masculine and of the feminine and, and understanding how that works out in love. And I don't mean squishy love. I don't like talk about squishy love. I'm talking about love, committed love, you know, right love, 
love that that is rooted in in goodness and right and wrong and who we are and how we express ourselves through true love. And so we we have to have a right understanding of our sexuality to have a right understanding about our relationships with each other. And to have, we have to have a right understanding of relationships with each other to have a functioning, healthy society. And I'm sorry, Jason, we do not have a healthy, functioning society. And it's not just because of Joe Biden. You know, it's not because of Joe Rogan or anyone else who's doing anything else. It's because we, when we look in the mirror, we do not know ourselves. We do not know who we are and who God created us to be. We've changed it. We've said, you know, screw you, God, I'm going to be whatever I want to be. And that has created a war of subjective, chaotic thinking in our society where only the dominant will to power will win. And that is my number one concern. And sexuality is very much tied in with that. But I don't hear anyone understanding this, dealing with this, putting their brain into higher gear, you know, to actually think about things, getting off of feelings, getting off of looking at the screens all the time and actually thinking, thinking through who I am, what I'm called to be and and what is my true relationship with other people. And it's not just being nice and getting along. So Denise, let me ask you this, because I read your tweets and I listen to things you say here and I think about my own thoughts and th- and. You know, I'm very comfortable with people calling me a sexist pig because I probably am. Uh, But I think the world has, particularly American society, we are obsessed with our feelings. And I believe that women tend to care more about their feelings and making sure everybody feels good. And me as a man, I really don't care as much about feelings. I don't want a world based on feelings. I think a world based on feelings creates the kind of chaos that we have right now. And so I don't care if someone feels like a woman. A lot of days I feel like Denzel Washington. That doesn't mean Denise should treat me like I'm Denzel Washington. You should treat me like I'm Jason Whitlock, the overweight 54 year old guy that I am. It might, my, my, however I feel is, is irrelevant. And now we're creating a society based off of appeasing everyone's feelings. And I consider this like we're creating an emotion-based feminized world. And that's what I think so attracts me to a lot of the things that you say is like, oh, here's a woman that gets what I'm saying that there's nothing wrong with masculine energy. There's nothing wrong with the patriarchy. And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm reading you incorrectly, that's why I'm having you on. Uh, But I I don't think a male-dominated society is the worst thing that ever happened to the planet. I would actually argue it's one of the best things that happened to the planet. And it's actually what God intended, but you know, that's a controversial statement now, uh, but I certainly still believe it. I, w- I would probably use different terms. I would probably say a male-led society is, is a good society uh, as, as opposed to dominated. Um, I would say that women certainly are primed to be more empathetic and work cooperatively and have emotive ways of looking th- at things more than men, you know, more of that, that right brain, left brain difference. Uh, But 
I do believe because men and women are both made in the image of God, we're both rational creatures and women are to be just as rational and subvert their, I mean, and, and bring their feelings into obedience to their rational mind and to their understanding and to their conscience, uh, you know, just as men should. And, you know, the sad thing is, Jason, is that we've gotten to the point where I don't really think we can even talk in terms anymore that women are more emotional than men, because we now live in a society that men have become so emotionalized that, you know, I'm finding it's across the board, the emotionality that's everywhere. And and I don't put it all at the feet of feminism. I mean, feminism is a huge problem. We could probably have many, many broadcasts discussing the evils of feminism, uh, you know, but I think the real problem is more not so much feminism, but subjectivism, more relativism, uh, rejection of God, so that we do not understand that we are made in his image as rational creatures and that we are not to be going by our feelings, that there is an external rule and law that goes beyond men, it goes beyond the patriarchy, it goes to God, that, you know, my responsibility, my obedience, my understanding of the order of nature, and my understanding of reason and applying that to everything that I do comes from God directly. And, And he has made me that way. And I am to be conformed to his image, not to the image of the feminist, not to the image of some dominating man, I'll say, not to the image of anything, but the image of him. But once we threw him out as a society, and we have, and we have as a worldview in our society, and our plausibility structures that make up our society are no longer theistic. They're definitely not Christian. You know, they are man-centered. They are, they are subjective. And it's whatever my truth is, whatever your truth is, whatever your identity, whatever your authority is going to be. You know, forget patriarchy, forget matriarchy, it doesn't matter. The leaders of today are whoever has power, whoever can formulate enough groups to come around to to gain power. And that's why Marxism is on the rise, because the Marxist philosophy is a power-based philosophy. It is not a love and cooperative and and objective uh, theistic philosophy like Christianity. And, and so that's why it's on the rise. And, and my call is not so much to some idealized time in the past of when men were great leaders and women could respect them and follow them and women had their um, roles to play in, in, in various strengths that they have to give to society. I want to get back to, hey, can we just understand that we have abandoned our relationship with God and our understanding of truth, that we cannot even reason together properly? You know, we can't even use facts. We can't even have debate anymore. You know, there used to be a time when we could debate in the public square about things, you know, agree to disagree or debate, have reason, you know, even in Christianity, employ some good Christian apologetics. Uh, you know, we can't even do that. And because it's like you said, it's all feeling based. We've thrown truth to the wind and, and we can't debate. So, you know, all we can do now is proclaim truth and let God do the work of trying to wake people the heck up because they're asleep. And they're asleep and they're becoming abusive to one another because it's all about power. Denise, one of the things you've tweeted that I didn't agree with, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, and I don't, I went hunting for this, this had to be a month or two ago, but you were talking about the role ministers should play, male ministers, with members of their female congregation. And I think you were talking about it's perfectly appropriate for the minister to be affectionate 
with his female congregation. And it, it seemed like you were arguing like the Billy Graham rule of never being alone with a woman. You find that to be improper and, and going too far. I remember reading the tweets and going, whoo, me and Denise disagree here. I, I, I like to keep my little safe space. Uh, I'm, I'm scared to death of being accused of something. And so I don't put myself in a room alone with female coworkers, employees. I, I see why ministers operate that way. I think Billy Graham's rule is a smart one. Could you, am I remembering correctly your argument? Could you explain to me? Because on Wednesdays, Denise, I have two ministers on my show. We do a segment called Tennessee Harmony. And so we're about, I'm gonna let you give your explanation then we're gonna, I'm gonna discuss it with my ministers here on whether you're right or wrong uh, on this. So could you refresh my memory? What's your take on ministers and how they should conduct themselves with their female congregants? Yeah, I, I do wanna make some points clear on this because Twitter is difficult because sometimes I broach, I get myself in trouble because I, I broach very difficult subjects in a very small tweet <laughs> that needs lots of explanation. Uh, and, and so it's difficult. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, first of all, I am speaking very specifically to ministers of, con of particular congregations. I'm not talking about someone in the media who you're surrounded by a lot of people that you're working with. You're not ministering to anyone. You have a business. You're also in entertainment. And I think it's probably wise that you never be alone with women in the business that you're in. I've been in your business. I know I, I've been in it a long time. So that is very wise of you. Uh, you know, so I'm not talking about people in, in business, you know, where you're you're just doing whatever. I don't want to go to work with coworkers for a lot of reasons, because you don't know these people, you can't trust them. Because of feminism and Me Too, you never know what people's agendas. And I, I've, I've seen women screw men over. I, I, I've seen men screw women. I've seen everything. So I, I've, I've been around the block way too many times. I've seen abuse on both ends, and I know what happens out there, so I'm not naive. Uh, I was speaking about very specifically to ministers in the church. I am also not speaking about very a very odd group of men who have media um, ministerial empires, which are like businesses. They're not really church ministry. And they're not, I don't want, when I say they're not biblical, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that the Bible doesn't really address these uh, conglomerate, you know, these big business ministries. So I look at those almost as as uh, businesses. And I have friends, I have a couple of friends who, who run some big ministries. So, uh, they, they too are dealing with a very different situation than the local minister in the church. And I would also advise them, it's probably wise, you know, not to, you know, be very careful about and guarded about how you interact with women because you never know, you know, what women are going to accuse you of or your own temptations. But as far as the ministers in the church and as far as men in the church and when you're in, a, in, in the congregation of God's people, okay, um, there has become a trend that is both reactionary to feminism and also a puritanical kind of prudishness of repressive sexuality that happens in some denominations that has put a wall up between men and women in the church. And, and I find that very concerning because it's not biblical. It's not right. We're to have a loving, and I mean loving as far as platonic, relationships between men and women in the church 
learning together, worshiping together, counseling together, eating together. When you look at the scripture, Jesus and the disciples were very very embraced and very open to women and their interaction and their society. So uh, that's what I'm, I'm dealing with, I'm talking about. And I think that when it comes to dealing with women and interacting with women, you are to treat them as human beings first. And they are human beings made in the image of God to be respected and loved. And if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, you are to love them by thinking the best of them and not putting them in suspicion. This is just one of the risks that you have to do as a shepherd of Christ. You put your life on the line by speaking the truth and you put your ministry on the line to love people. Jesus did it, Paul did it, James did it, John did it. You need to do it, okay? Now, what does that mean as far as interacting with women? Uh, Talking to them, because I have actually been to a church where the minister did not speak to the women at all. And even in public, you know, he would just kind of stand off and like, hey, over there, like like we were lepers. Uh, That's inappropriate and it's fear-based. It's not love-based and it's not your response and you're not fulfilling your duty as responsibility as a shepherd in the church. If you're afraid of her, you're not trusting God. If you're afraid of your own sexual impulses and you have so little self-control, you shouldn't be in the ministry. Because one of the number one requirements to be an elder in the church is self-control. Self-control is being able to be in a situation and have self-control. It is not removing people from you or you removing yourself. That's repression. That's avoidance. That is not self-control. That is immaturity. Now, it might be wise at the beginning to remove yourself so that you can grow in the faith. But you're not a mature man in the faith if you have no self-control. So if the problem is you, you need to look in the mirror and deal with it. Okay, if you're afraid of the woman and she's and she's someone in the church, then, you know, you need to understand the risk of loving people, you know, and talking to them and and engaging with them. And I, you know, I'm not talking about the stripper that you don't know who comes in dressed like who knows what you don't know what she's going to do. And you don't know who she is. I mean, yet gather people together to deal with this and the women in particular. But I'm talking about people in the church, you know, as far as meeting with one on one. You know, use wise steps. Meet with the woman one one. Have have a window if you're that concerned. Have the door slash. I mean, open open. But you know, just show respect for her if she needs counsel and show her love. Don't be afraid of her. You should be able to embrace and, and hold a woman and hug her when she's grieving. If you as a man, as a minister, can't do that with a woman in your parish, if you have so little self-control, you need to get out right now. Because you don't have self-control. This is why I wanted to have you on the show, because I knew you were more thoughtful than what a tweet would allow. And you've given a far better explanation than what when I was reading the stuff over Twitter, I was like, oh, my God, I don't ever want to be alone with Denise. (laughs) Welcome all the women in. Have a party. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying, you know, if, if, you know, there's someone, if you have a woman in your church who's like having like sexuality issues and she's obviously no liar and she's someone who obviously has had problems, you know, going to a room or going out to lunch with her is not wise. I mean, you know, there's wise things to employ, but I'm talking about a general attitude. I, I, uh, what I'm opposing is a blanket statement of, I will never as a minister in my congregation ever meet alone with a woman. And hey, I actually won't ever talk to her unless I have some sentinel woman standing there beside me with the broomstick. 
that's what I have a problem with, these absolute statements. I mean, you're not opening up yourself to God's spirit. You're not being wise. You're not exercising self-control. You're acting out of fear of yourself or the woman or both. You know, and so you need to deal with that fear while still employing wisdom. You know, but I I just I see this across the board and bringing this back out of the church a little bit into the culture. I see this kind of reactionaryism to um, feminism as a whole. I I hear from too many men. I'm never going to talk to women. I'm never going to have anything to do with women. Hey, if women want to serve in the front line, screw you. Yeah, you can. You wanted it. You get this. Forget about men protecting you. I'm not going to do my manly duty. I hate feminism. All of you can just burn. You know, I mean, I, I see this. And I'm one of the first ones because I've written about it. And that was one of the main things I did when I was conservative media was being very sympathetic to the men who had been shunned in our society, had been abused and oppressed by uh, feminism. And, you know, the, uh, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent. You know, but I, I'm always guarded when I look at society, when I look at history and I've learned from history that to every action, there is a reaction and we have to be careful in our reactions, because sometimes the reactions to things can cause even more problems and more devastation than the action themselves. And I'm seeing a huge reaction to feminism that I just want to put some, while defending it and understanding it and understanding these men and in, in, in their fight for a voice in our culture, I hate how men are oppressed today and don't laugh liberals, whoever you are who might be listening to this, yeah, they are. You know, men have to be so guarded now. They have to walk around like, you know, like they're toxic. I hate that, you know, toxic masculinity. There's no such thing as toxic masculinity. There's toxic people. And there's a whole lot of toxic women out there. And and so I see these men going around fearful to be able to speak. Can they do anything? Men can't even gather together for guy humor anymore. I mean, I love guy humor. I grew up around with guy humor, you know, it's just, they can't enjoy man spaces. Let the men have their spaces. Let them have their humor. Let them have their lives as men and don't always categorize it as being a threat because it's something separate that that you're not controlling. And, uh, you know, so I'm a big defender, but I also at the same time am guarded of the reactions um, among the men to it which always puts me on the outs of everybody, to be honest. You know, because I'll on one side be bashing the feminists, but then I'll turn around and say, but guys, you know, you can't let them define and redefine you. You have to hold the line to what you were called to be. And that's why I, my Christian worldview comes to play. We always have to keep our eyes on God and what he wants. Because if we start thinking and looking only at the enemy or about the opposers or about the right or the left, they begin to define us because we begin to react. And they also begin to define our alliances and what we fight for and what we compromise on because we're all so focused on them instead of saying, no, my focus is on what God wants me to be. And he's gonna be my standard. He's gonna be my light. He's gonna be the line. And I'm going to respond accordingly to the culture and to people with that. And I think when you start doing that, you find sometimes you're really against one side. Sometimes you're against this side. Not always, but, you know, it, it, you're just not reacting in the same way as you, as you are when you're always looking to the person who's threatening you or the group. Denise, let me end on this note, I want to, I just want to thank you for coming on and I'm, 
I, I want to want to have you back on uh, again. But is there anything going on in American culture, corporate media, that's giving you hope? Do you see anything improving and, and that makes you hopeful that maybe we're going to course correct here? No. Uh, no. <laughs> Nothing? I, 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 will, I see a lot of reaction. And let me put not right now. I see a lot of reaction, uh, you know, people getting mad about things, you know, and uh, that's why they love, again, people like Joe Rogan, who's asking all the questions or Bill Maurer, you know, Amir, uh, and all the, they're asking the questions, we're reacting, we're fighting this, but, but all I see is, is a lot of fighting. Uh, I don't see a lot of thinking and I do not see, a very, I see very little understanding of what the real problem of our society is. Uh, you know, our real problem in our society, again, is that we do not understand what truth is anymore. We have abandoned truth. We have abandoned truth about morality. And I don't mean just everyone behave themselves. I'm not a never Trump or preener. Uh, I'm talking about morality as far as right and wrong in life in general. Um, I We don't understand our uh, truth about identity. We don't understand the truth about our existence, about who we are, about truth, about reason. Uh, you know, we don't understand this. We've abandoned it. So everything else is going to fall. And in I don't I, I want to see more of a fight for what's the truth here? What's the right thing here? Not, hey, what's going to defeat Joe Biden or, hey, you know, what's going to really piss off the feminists? You know, you know, or. or you know, some crazy person or even the LGBT, what's really going to make the transgender people mad today, you know, or, you know, what's what's the great thing we can get on COVID to show how insane all the mask wearers are, which I think they are crazy. But it's just this is not while we can have those battles, we can have that fight, we can have that back and forth. We have got to understand that the real focus here is getting back to truth and there is objective truth and cutting through a lot of the BS that we have out there, both on the right and the left, and being willing to hold that line. And that's gonna take bravery in the days that we live, because let me tell you, very few people are doing it. Because money's at stake, popularity's at stake. You know, we're so polarized that the minute you step out, you're ostracized. I lost a 30-year career in a, in a tweet, and, and, and it's not coming back. And so, that has got to stop as far as moving forward. We, we've got to really get back to the truth. I mean, it, it really is simple as that and be bold in it. Denise, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your Twitter feed. I can't wait to have you on again. I hope you'll come back. Uh, that's Denise McAllister. Don't go anywhere. Pastor Anthony's going to be here for some Tennessee Harmony. We'll get his reaction to a lot of what Denise just said. All right, welcome back. Jason Whitlock, Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, we're circling back for some more Tennessee Harmony. You just heard me engaging with Denise McAllister. Uh, said a lot of interesting stuff, guys. Uh, Bobby just told me uh, before we came back for this segment, I wasn't actually gonna talk about the beginning of the interview, but it sounds like you did some research on 
the Twitter feud or yeah. controversy she got in that made the Federalists and, and yeah. Daily Wire back away from her. It's that you did some homework on that. Well, I did because uh, you know I wanted to be fair and understand. Yeah. First of all, can I, I let me just set the stage of, of why I want to say what I'm going to say. She was incredibly articulate. I mean, bright artic. She she expresses a godly point of view. I I just love her clear thought processes, bringing it back to truth and scripture and all of that. And let me tell you a danger with people like Denise. And anybody who's really insightful with a critical mind, there is a very fine line between a critical mind and really good judgment and coming across judgmentally and hatefully. Mm. And when I went back... I struggle with that. Go ahead. When I went back and I I looked at uh, what she had said... There was a mean-spiritedness in that Twitter feud. There was, it wasn't Christ-like. And it's one of the things that happens when, and I see this um, on shows sometimes of, of commentators that I really respect. I've seen Tucker do this, and I, and I don't like it. And it's, you belittle the other person. And Jesus is really clear that that's not, that's not right. It's wrong to do that to another person made in the image of God. And she did that with, uh, with her tweets. She was belittling another human being. Now, here's the tricky part. Uh, this goes back to what she You'll never read saying. my Twitter feed, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never come on the show again. Hey, hey, you've asked me to talk about what the Bible says. Yes. So, uh, in fact, can I, can I just yeah. jump to a, a passage from Jesus yep. himself on this? It's from Matthew chapter 5, and it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was talking about this whole thing about anger, okay? Now, Jesus goes real quick because he says the root of murder is anger. And so if you're going to talk about murder, before you get to murder, you better look at what you're doing with anger, Mm -hmm. okay? It's like we talked about. Uh, Satan can get a foothold and all of a sudden anger becomes bitterness and resentment and it compounds. And the next thing you know, it could result in something like murder. Well, here's how Jesus said it. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So he's commenting on the Old Testament. And then he says this. And by the way, when Jesus does this, he's saying, here's the heart of the matter. But I tell you that anybody who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is the equivalent of fool, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says directly, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. So let those words just sink in. Mm -hmm. How we talk about other people and to other people, we got to be really careful because as Jesus says, by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. And if we had time, we could go look at the book of James where he warns us of the damage we do to other people by our words. So I just want to back up now, though. I want to say this. I love Denise McAllister's courage 
you can tell as you're interviewing her. I mean, this lady is really trying to be godly. She's got great courage and she's super articulate. She's super articulate like Shamika and like yourself, Jason. And uh, the danger with all of us who maybe have been given a gift by God to have this clear judgment, this clear sense of seeing right and wrong, this clear ability to be critical, make good critical judgments. We don't want to turn that on other human beings as though we are the judge and jury of a human being and belittle them. Mm. Mm. I needed to hear that. You're talking about Denise, you're actually talking about me. And I needed to hear that. That's good stuff, Bob. I'm glad you, you paid. Now, see, I wanted to talk about the important stuff she said, but I'm like, you, you, anyway, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, all right, well, what about the other stuff she talked about? And what I found interesting or compelling, the fundamental truth of family that we've gone away from. And it's like, if we don't deal with family and the necessariness of, of family, all this other stuff is irrelevant. Yeah, the breakdown of the family breaks down a whole lot of things in our society, in the government, in religion. It, it breaks down a whole lot of things, and I think that's why God made the central point of his ministry. It takes root in the family and goes out from that in our own families. Uh, when she talked about even uh, gender, you know, how that whole agenda of breaking down gender and LGBTAQ plus and whatever else they have going on, that's a breakdown, that's an attack on the family. Uh, and, and one of the things that she holds to that is that's a, an issue of truth. And that's where I, I love to hang my hat on. Like if, if we begin to define objective truth subjectively, that we can make it however we want to make it, then words have no meaning, gender has no meaning, whatever we want to say. So when she hit that, but especially uh, she, when she talked about that and when she talked about how, you know, when fathers are not leading as they should, which is again, this element of the family, when they're not there, how all of those things break down, she hit it hard. I, I think just, uh, and you did a good job, but to summarize, I thought, she said, we do not know ourselves. We basically said, screw you, God. I'm going to do, I'm going to be whoever I want to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, and the sexuality has become the identity of the age and we've abandoned God's design. When I heard her say that, I did think of both of you because that is a theme that comes up on this show yes. all the time. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 again, I loved she was so insightful. She was so articulate uh, in describing what's happening and how we're abandoning the foundations of what scripture teaches that are ultimately the cultural foundations of our society. And we're making up these new rules. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I loved one of the things that she said that I wanted to point to that uh, churches are abandoning, unfortunately, she kept coming back to the order, the, the created order. One of the real strong teachings in scripture is that God created an order for male and females, and that we're gonna do the best as males and females, when, as a society and as a family and as groups, 
when we try to live out God's created order. Yes. And what we're doing right now is we're saying, we don't care about that order. We dispute that order. It's all about feelings and our desires. And uh, ultimately, when it's about feelings and desires, that's Satan's playground. Yeah. And, and he's just, it's chaos and he's getting a foothold. And so many people are being damaged by it because all that God wants for us is what's good for us and what's best for us. And when we say to him, I don't care about you anymore, Lord, we're going to do it our own way. That is not going to end well because all that God would ever want is what's best for us. In the beginning, as he says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then dropping to 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's the foundation that created the world. Everything we see and even things we don't see was created by word. So when we shift from that to say, no, this doesn't mean that it means whatever I want it to mean. We've assaulted God and his entire creation. And so the only thing that's going to save us is that very word itself. I'm going to because I think we've referenced a couple times today the power of words. Yes. And so this was a conversation we had earlier this week, I think on Monday. Uh, we had a big, long conversation on Monday show about the N word and my belief that we should eliminate it from our vocabulary. And it sparked a pretty good debate among about four of the contributors on the show. And, and no one fully agreed with my position. Uh, that What's the best argument you heard for it? I, I've never heard a good one for okay, it, okay. Uh, but th th they I, I, I literally I did want to ask y'all. I didn't know if anybody saw it, but but, you know, I can't be wrong here that the N word from black people and white people should be eliminated. That's what would serve us all best. Mm. I, I would agree with that. Mm. I, I, I agree. I, I think that that agreement has an implication though. If that word is still as heated, um, poisonous or whatnot, if that word is still that now, then its context has to matter. Like if the word is, if it's just the word, you know, and that's where I say to those people who like to use it, if it's just a word, our words have context, they have meaning. Elaborate on that a little bit, because what you mostly hear is black people saying, hey, we own that word. Only we can use it. Mm -hmm. They can't use it. It's, it's perfectly fine when we use it. I completely disagree with that. I, I think, you know, I said on the show, it's like, hey, if you call your child dumb, mm -hmm. you're going to do some damage to that child and make him believe he's dumb. Mm -hmm. And so if you keep calling yourself the N word, even as a term of endearment, Mm -hmm. You're going to think of yourself as separate from everybody else, different from everybody else and lower than everybody else. And that's I think like the, the Jim Jones, the rapper I showed earlier in the show, he hasn't thought it all the way through. But part of the reason why this black man, they sit out here like I'm going to talk to him. Mm -hmm. 
what he's basically, like, I'm going to talk to this N-word. Y'all better send somebody white out here that's on my level or on a, and I'm just like, this is why yeah. we can't be thinking of ourselves mm-hmm. as N-words. No, we're, we're in agreement. What I'm, oh. We're saying the same thing. That word has context. So when we say it, even when you look at it, as you pointed out, if you, ch- you call that child great, and they're four years old. You know, they, they haven't done anything really significant than learn their letters. But when you say that they're great, they're great, and you speak that, there's an aspiration that comes because of the context of that word. So, yeah, that word has some context to it, and that context is a part of the word. So those that defend it, you have to defend that. So those that oppose it, you're opposing all of it and the poison. I like that you care about that word. Words create worlds, and you're creating a world in the minds of people. And it's best if we just don't even create that world. Can I ask you something? Because you interviewed her at the end, and you asked her, um, does she... That was going to be my... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go ahead. No, my next question was going to be about the Billy Graham rule. Oh, okay. Oh, because I wanted to hear from two ministers on her take on... You know, she said, look, no, Jason, I'm not talking about business people like you in the media world. No, I'm not talking about mega church runners. That's a business. I'm talking about traditional pastors. The Billy Graham rule of not being alone with a woman is an indication that you're not a mature Christian. That's a you problem. And so I want to know, as ministers, y'all actually deal Uh, with this. Let me go first on that. And then if we have time. Yeah, we will. I I want uh, you to comment and we can talk about, you know, whether she's optimistic or not. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So the Billy Graham rule, here's what, uh, when Denise was speaking, what I thought is that she's been in churches where there's really been a, a mistreatment because men are standing so far away. So I just... In my mind, I played through all my years in ministry. The only times uh, where I ever felt like we needed to invoke the Billy Graham rule is if I was meeting alone with another woman where it wasn't in a room that had a window or it wasn't in a place where... um, if something was alleged or, in fact, something happened... Because uh, even the temptation for a, a minister with a, an attractive woman or something to even cultivate an inappropriate relationship, because I've always followed the Billy Graham rule, my wife's with me all the time. It's like, I, like to me, it's like I'm with women all the time. If I'm ever alone with a woman, the door's open, there's no question about it. Or if it's in a social setting, my wife's with me and I wouldn't go out for lunch by myself with a woman alone. I think that's unwise. I think that that's uh, how um, affairs start because of emotional attachment and things like that. But the things that she was describing of men like totally ignoring women and all that, I've just not been in church contexts where that happened. I'm about right there with him. Jesus one time in John chapter 4 Uh, had an interaction with a woman alone. And because of the culture at that time, uh, even when his disciples got back, they were like, whoa, you know, what what are you guys talking about? They wouldn't say it. The the scripture actually said they wouldn't ask him, but they thought in their mind, 
what is he doing with this woman alone and what that could mean and how that could look. But Jesus was doing ministry and, and he's got a different call. So as far as me, you know, giving examples like Bobby, um, if I'm ever in that situation, there's always some clarity. There's always a way that, you know, doors open, et cetera. I'm always letting, you know, everybody know where I am and what I'm doing as well as a means to buffer, you know, just give some transparency. Hey, I'm getting ready to go meet with sister such and such uh, for these reasons. Uh, there's been a time or two where I've had, you know, either my wife or one of the other leaders, you know, hey, if you're here, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is why I've, just to give that. I've seen so many uh, uh, men get into affairs just because you're a godly man doesn't mean you're not red blooded. <laughs> and uh, throughout history, there has been wisdom uh, through centuries that we got to be really careful with our relationships as men and women. And so properly used, I'm all in favor of the Billy Graham rule. And I advocate that others follow it. But it, you know, it doesn't, what, what she was describing though, I'm like, Bobby, I don't see in my circles that kind of behavior where we're just standoffish of women and, oh, we just don't interact and don't, I, I respect her, you know, experience, but yeah. it's not that. It's, it's, you know, very rare situations where we may be one-on-one -on -one if, you know, an extreme situation, but no, I, we're interacting all the time with women. Let's remove it from the church, just for my edification. Uh, how do you think men in the workplace should behave around women? Same? My own opinion. So uh, for five years, I ran my father's trucking company. Uh, so uh, I tried to follow the same principles. Obviously, you got to be careful. Sometimes for business reasons, you have to do, you know, meetings and things like that where you're alone and you can't impose the Billy Graham rule in a situation like that. But you can always be smart. You can always be careful. And I'm just telling you, uh, there are way too many affairs going on right now to not uh, insist that we be careful and cautious uh, without being weird or mistreating people. As if Jesus were there. That would be my response. As if he's there. I know you mentioned outside of the church and by context, you're meaning outside of the church building. But wherever we go, we are a part of I was of the mostly church. asking specifically for me yeah. because I, I, I do get accused of being very, I'm afraid of women in the workplace. And so I get accused of being very aloof. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, it's my paranoia. I feel like there's a target on my back and there's virtually nothing a woman could say about me that wouldn't be believable. And that's just me being honest. Yeah. She might convince me that I did something that I didn't even do. I, well, that, that sounds like something I would do. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, uh, I just keep a safe distance. Yeah. These are tricky things, to be fair to everybody. Mm -hmm. These are tricky things for godly people to work their way through in our day. We want to be people who really love and respect others. But we also got to know we got this powerful thing that God put in us called our sex drive. And if Satan can get a foothold with anger, he can also get a foothold oh, with He can take sex over drive. the whole country. <laughs> <laughs> he, that ain't a foothold. That's, yeah. that's a stranglehold. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much. Uh, oh, Bobby, I, your last thing you wanted. She was uh, very skeptical. Yeah. 
She was, I was watching what she said. Yeah. Again, I just want to say, I think she shows really good judgment on our culture. And I was watching your reaction to her. So I don't know. Uh, I was watching very carefully because I'm asking the same question every day now. Because here's what I think we've got one of two options, the way our culture is going. Either it's going to be revival, which I'm praying for revival, that lots of people throughout the country start turning back to Jesus and we say no to all this foolishness and God does a work of revival. If that's not the case, and this is one of the reasons why I love your show, we want to be supporting a faithful remnant of people who are going to live in the new Babylon. Babylon is the captivity of God's people where we're going to follow King Jesus faithfully in the new Babylon. And we've got to learn how to do that as a faithful remnant and voices like yours, like the way you started the show today, that was so good because we've got to have clear thinking to survive in Babylon. Well, you know, Bobby, and I think I hear tomorrow, but you know, I think on one of the first Tennessee harmonies, I predicted I was going to be a Quaker. And that prediction still said, we are headed for Babylon and I will be a Quaker. The rest of you all can have all your technology. You said Amish. Amish, that's what it is, Amish, Amish. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, that's it and that's all for us. We'll see you tomorrow.